Real big. I know one day I would do it real big. Nicole Johnson, I am so excited to have you on this episode, on this podcast, this interview. I just feel like it's really a time capsule for all of your future endeavors so that we can just kind of share this moment together. I feel like it's really a really monumental time at the end of 2021. How are you doing today, Nicole? I'm doing well. Thank you, Robert. Yeah, I appreciate you wanting to capture it because there has been a lot going on. <laughs> so thank you. Oh, for sure. For sure. So Nicole, um, I know you as an entrepreneurial activist, a friend, a colleague, um, just an all around boss. Um, you know, there aren't <laughs> that many people that I know that have met you and have not just been completely blown away. Um, but, you know, for the people that don't know you yet, how would you describe yourself? Yeah. So I normally like to start off with the fact that I'm an artist. Most people don't know that about me, but I uh, started off as a dancer and moved into musical theater and TV and film. Um, and my love really is in storytelling. So I love to be able to utilize whatever mediums if it is artistry or if it's entrepreneurship or if it's education, um, to be able to tell stories that help to shift culture. Um, but I really do enjoy playing my ukulele and singing my little cute songs, trying to be the artist that I uh, feel like I am in my heart. I do think that it has been a journey for me though, to really embrace that. And that's why so many people know me for my work in education, for my work in city government, uh, for my work in entrepreneurship, because it seems that that's where my journey has led me to do my storytelling most. But at the core of it, I'm just a little black girl who likes to play the ukulele and dance around. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure that there are lots of other things that we'll talk about as it relates to the multifaceted kind of layers of my work professionally. I am a diversity, equity, and inclusion director um, that helps to dismantle systemic oppression through facilitated dialogue. And I'm currently getting my doctorate in educational theater and cognitive-based therapy because that's at the core of all of my curriculums and all of my uh, culture-shifting facilitated dialogue sessions. Um, people know me for like being in front of my Zoom and leading a meditation and a stretching that then takes us into really deep conversations about race, about discrimination, about American history. And then of course, dismantling systemic oppression through means of whether it is organizational theory, maybe it's wellness, maybe it is um, navigating how we tell our own advocacy story, how we hold ourselves accountable. It's very multifaceted beautiful kind of educational experiences that I create in several industries, including theater, corporate, higher ed, K through 12, houses of worship, um, and the um, public health sector. So that's a big intro, uh, but I excited to kind of unpack and tell you more. Yes, definitely excited to unpack that, you know, um, Nicole. So I'd really love to hear more about how you're just dismantling systemic oppression and racism um, and how you're just literally doing that every day. But, you know, talk to us a little bit about the early days. What was little Nicole like and, you know, in high school uh, when she was coming up and what led to her becoming one of the most um, impactful activists of our time? Oh, you're so sweet. Thanks for that. You know, <laughs> I think 
my brother um, is a very large part of my story. Grant Johnson is 22 years old now. Um, and he was diagnosed with autism at five. Um, and his diagnosis is that he's essentially just academically and socially delayed, um, but is entirely capable of like making your day. Such a sweetheart. Um, I spent the majority of my time away from him as a teenager because I moved to New York to work in the entertainment industry and we didn't want to upset Grant's environment. So my parents went ahead and lived in Florida, the suburbs of Florida where I'm from. And I moved to New York and I was living with different guardians. And so I've been a little bit of a loner <laughs> since I was like 14, um, working in New York, training for the entertainment industry. And I had a particular goal, like the whole family was all like, you are there to work and to succeed, whatever we thought that meant. And so I came out here, but grants the distance that I had created between us had always kind of like um, caused a bit of guilt and disappointment in myself. And so right. I began my first nonprofit called Move. It's underneath a umbrella called Giovanna Productions. Um, and Move stands for Motivation, Opportunity, Vision, Entertainment. And we did our first Move for Autism show um, at my high school on 48th Street, the Professional Performing Arts High School, where we still do work today. Um, it's much more evolved, but we began building shows and telling stories to raise awareness and funds for autism. Um, and then many of my friends all had other issues, social issues that they were passionate about. So I would provide them with the resources and the education to build socially responsible artistic artistry. And I went on to do my, you know, my undergrad in social responsibility, ethics and production um, which really expedited the nonprofit and led me to all of the grant writing that I did, you know, end of high school into um, college. Um, and all of the people who were a part of the work in high school ended up bringing move to their communities. And so we grew by way of people just being close to the story of my, my brother and I. Um, and so I think at the core of all of my work is Grant and my interest in like being responsible for my brother or being there in some capacity to support him with the privilege and power that I have. And then you can tell how that has grown into how I ask people who now I don't even know from all over the world as they're engaging in diversity, equity, and inclusion, I ask them to utilize their power and privilege in a way that is going to shift culture and it's going to um, support marginalized communities or communities that normally are left out. Um, so yeah, little Nicole started off trying to just help her brother. And then I think the formula works um, and people latched onto it. And I created branding and excitement around it that made people feel like they were a part of a community and that they were a part of a new kind of culture. Yeah. That's really powerful. And you know, um, when I see you operate within Zoom rooms, because uh, I haven't, we haven't, we still haven't met uh, in person yet. But I know this is crazy, Robert. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, but when I see you operate within these rooms on a regular basis, it is incredibly powerful to see people's thought processes shift in real time, um, especially when you start to activate these conversations. Um, 
could you talk a little bit about how you developed that sense of um, communication around just galvanizing communities? For sure. I yeah. think it stems all the way back to my extemporaneous speech days where I used to compete in extemporaneous speech in middle school. And extemporaneous speech is basically someone gives you a topic, you have to create a speech within five or 10 minutes, and then you have to present it to an audience and you compete for rewards. I also did a lot of improv, theatrical improv in middle school and high school. And of course, as an actress, there is this storytelling work of being in given circumstances and having to navigate tactics and objectives. And I think that collection of theater, you know, public speaking, improv, really set me up to be the person that I am right now. And specifically for that Zoom shift in 2020. I mean, I couldn't have been more prepared to be that person to start galvanizing these rooms. What also happened is that, you know, I've been building my nonprofit for a while. So community organizing and getting people into rooms is just like second nature. Um, and building the community of movers that eventually, you know, grew in such a way that, you know, with my education, every time I took on a new degree, the community grows essentially with me and with my learning. Um, and so I had spent some time in my master's as a, I did, a, I have a master's in education policy from NYU. I recognized that there was something really effective about being in the education space, being in city government. So I ended up working for the mayor's office for a couple of years um, where I was navigating my master's, also just trying to understand systems and organizational theory and the systemic oppression that many of us are experiencing but not quite able to communicate or detail um, adequately. We're all trying to figure out what is it that we're feeling and it's systemic oppression. I say all of this to say that there is something special about when you're communicating a story that leads to empathy um, and you then ask other people, you then ask other people to step into their own empathy shoes to navigate how to best be of service with their identity, with their influence, with their ability to be impactful. Um, I think what has end up what is happening is this really cool magical experience where I'm communicating how I have stepped into that empathy mindset and I'm giving people examples and then asking them to step into the shoes right there in the room um, and utilizing, like I said, my theater, my improv, my public speaking stuff. I then add cognitive based therapy, which asks people to be active in the rooms. So it's not this idea of like, hey, I'm listening to Nicole speak. It's like, no, now Nicole has given me an ecosystem to live in and now I have to participate. And so it's a little bit magical because I haven't quite understood what the formula is. Um, I have a version of it that I'm sure I'll share today, but um, it's definitely, there's some little magical element to it when people start to shift in a room that I um, can't quite say what it is just yet, but I'm sure people are feeling it and people have definitely expressed being able to have a changed pathway in their advocacy after being a part of the rooms. You know what? That is 
everything you just said was just beautiful. Um, there, there's something about that magic that you mentioned, though. And as a person who has definitely witnessed it and been a part of that change within the rooms, even via Zoom, virtually, um, I'll tell you a little bit what happens to me. Um, and I did not recognize this as systemic oppression. So, and correct me if I'm wrong, if, if I'm, um, if I'm wrong here, but essentially when an initial thought is shared with you, you essentially enter these rooms that you're leading knowing that, Hey, you know, Robert feels this way about topic X, Y, Z. So you typically will tee it up for me to say, <laughs> to speak about that topic, but I don't necessarily always speak about things in public rooms, but you'll um, essentially, I would say almost empower me or others to speak up. And what happens is it's almost like crossing like, <laughs> like hot coal or something. And someone is just like maybe holding your hand during the process because you know that you have that support. Um, and so after you get across that hot coal, it's like, oh, okay, wait a second. Okay, I'm, I'm actually, that was actually good. That was okay. <laughs> you know, I survived. And I didn't know that that sense of nervousness, that, um, that, that's, that, that feeling in my body that I get from, um, from, from sharing my thoughts publicly, I was just afraid of like, what might happen but you kind of lead us to think actually there's really nothing wrong with that and you need to be able to tell your story um is there any part of that that's wrong when it comes to like how you think through this process no i think i'm really happy that you articulated articulated it like that because i definitely have seen a beautiful shift in working with you the first thing that I'll call back attention to that you said, it's the, the fear thing. Um, yeah. And then basically we're looking at self-advocacy. What happens is you're right. My rooms utilize stories in lots of different ways. I'm telling stories, you're telling stories, people are coming upon stories, people are listening, right? And so what ends up happening is you're right. I'll know a story that you have that you've told me in person, which is a testament first to like the work that I'm doing as a, as a friend or as just like a, another person of color in the world where I can like create a space for you where you can be like, Nicole, this is how I actually feel. Um, and I wanna tell you these things, right? And then I just recall those things and I kind of hold them in a little chamber in my heart so that when the <laughs> moment arises in a room, that's the next part of it is like, when is the right moment to bring that story in? And so I assess that, which feels like a little bit of my intuition work, right? And then as I'm in the room, thinking about how the stories line up, I'm also thinking about the people who are about to receive them and how much power they have and like how they will receive your story. Because is it right now, is it the time to share that story? Does it feel like they might, it might go on deaf ears? Does it feel like it might become a bit too, you know, uh, well, not volatile, but like, will it like create too much of an uproar? These stories, though, are always worthy of being told. And so despite all of my maneuvering in the room and like figuring out what stories to be said, you can say the things that are causing you pain in your workspaces at any time, and they are valid. And I think we've gotten so used to, you're right, systemic oppression, and that we're like, no, this is just how it is. I'm supposed to feel bad at work. When it's like, nope, 
we just keep doing this thing, we're in a cycle, we're in a loop where we've allowed people, predominantly white males in history to determine what work culture should be and how we should feel well or not well and how we should push ourselves and all those other white supremacy culture characteristics that we talk about all the time uh, within my work, we just allow those things to happen. And I'm so tired because I've experienced so many workplace aggressions in a con concentrated amount of time across several industries. So I think what happened is I experienced this catalytic moment of like, this is too much pain for me to be holding. And I also see other people's pain and I don't understand why we're all just like still going with it. Because if you're in your own little work bubble and you don't see other people's work bubbles and you don't see it across industries, it doesn't feel as bad to you because you're like, this is my, this is the world that I'm in. But because I jumped so much and I went from so many different industries and experienced the same patterns, I eventually was all like, we gotta wake up. <laughs> this is a pattern. And so I think you definitely hit it on the head is that like, because I'm so convicted by the fact that I've experienced so much pain in my workplaces and that someone like me is not someone like my brother Grant, who has um, who is on the autism spectrum and could experience more discrimination as a black male um, who has a disability. You know, it makes me go, if I'm experiencing this, I know that there are so many other people from vulnerable communities who are experiencing this. And then I'll just say it, you're also a veteran. Um, and so thinking about, I think our relationship, I remember being like, first off, not only is Robert a black male, but Robert is a veteran that I have to like be more cognizant of your experience in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and people will be very quick to be like, oh no, that's just another black male, right? Like, you know, mm -hmm. no, you know, this person doesn't have a family. This like, you know, they're, they're quick <laughs> to just like strip you of all your identity mm -hmm. in workspaces. And that's why I think I enjoyed so much being like, no, Robert, you can say anything you want because you are a veteran <laughs> and you're a black male and you have a family. You're a working parent. You know what I mean? I'm like, you have so many social aggressions and um, parts of your identity that could be taken advantage of that I pretty much use you in many spaces to be like, nope, say whatever you want to say. <laughs> so, Yeah. <laughs> I think I think that's one of the things that a lot of us miss that, you know, working with you um, previously, um, you know, at any point, everyone has to make transitions, but I'm sure almost everyone that that knows you has this sore spot like, oh, my gosh, I miss Nicole working with her every day. Um, and so, you know, you said a couple things that really resonated especially relating in relation to wellness and essentially managing your pain. Um, how do you manage your pain and how does that affect the work that you do today? Yeah, that's a beautiful question. Well, the first thing is definitely getting back to those childhood wounds. Um, mm -hmm. I'm an invest like, okay, I'm actually extremely, um, what would you call it? I'm a bit obsessed with my health so much so that sometimes I'm all like being obsessed with your wellness is not being well, honestly. Um, but I, to the point where, you know, I am consistently thinking about my physical health and my um, spiritual mental health. And I do lots of different things for my self-care. That was just perhaps after a very large crash that I had um, earlier in 2020 
with abandonment issues and with all of my childhood wounds around worthiness. And I really hit a rock bottom emotionally and knew that I was all like, well, there's no other way that you're moving forward, but to take care of yourself. I was doing this thing where I was just like taking care of other people so much so that I wasn't caring about how I looked, how I was feeling. I was all like some sort of like martyrdom situation and it was unhealthy Mm. and it kicked me into gear to take care of, um, my pain and the things that I've suffered, um, and to investigate those things, you know, cause it's very easy for us to be like, Oh yeah, I'm probably sad today or whatever, but it's like, so then what are the things at the under, at the base of it? Right. Mm-hmm. Have you been, uh, have you communicated with the people that you love about the things that are on your heart? Have you, you know, been thinking about trauma that you've experienced and unpacking that and going to therapy to navigate it? And so I have a very extensive self-care regimen um, and I have to work on saying no to things, especially it's difficult. I've been able to say no to lots of things that are easy to say no to like, oh, I will not take on that next contract because I have 15 already. It's more like when a friend, um, like a a close friend that I know that I want to be able to help, um, I put all my, my like energy on the line to support them, but it's actually taking away from me and I have to be able to make decisions. So managing my pain is really being preventative and making decisions that are going to edify me so that I can be available for people in a healthy way, not in a way where it's like, I'm sacrificing myself so that you can grow. Like, nah, not, not this season. Not this season. So it's it's a lot of decision making. It's a lot of like taking a break to be like, hey, listen, I hear where you're at. Give me a second to like understand what I need, and then I'm gonna get back to you. It's about like under promising sometimes to be like, I could do that. I feel like I might only be able to do it for two weeks instead of for you know a three or five week engagement. You know, there's there's ways that you gotta communicate. And be preventative. And so that's what I'm doing a lot of that. Um, and then also failing at it uh, and many times, you know what I mean? <laughs> Where I um, am not listening to my body, pushing myself too much, um, going all the way into a break point uh, and still being in a bit of cycles, the cycles that I used to engage in. But at least I'm aware of them now and I can stop myself before I get into any huge crashes, you know? Right. Yeah. That makes so much sense. It, I think a lot of us are definitely afraid to communicate with the stakeholders of our lives about how we're feeling because we kind of feel like, oh man, we don't want to inconvenience this person all the while we're inconveniencing ourselves by um, not focusing on ourselves. Um, I really appreciate your take on self-care. I feel like that's a whole, (laughs) that's an, that's an entire podcast episode right there. But, um, you know, when we think about the things that we should be doing in order to um, transition or just, you know, just be our, basically become ourselves at work, um, what's something that you would recommend that employees continue to do? And um, what do you think more businesses should do in order to support their employees in that way? Yeah, you know, I, for the for the employees, I always say that 
working on getting ready to tell stories that help you to advocate yourself, advocate for yourself is the way to go. Like, um, I know I could have said anything from like, take your self-care breaks, insert like an hour for lunch on your calendar, only take three Zoom meetings. I could have said all those things, but I'm really in the, in the headspace where I'm all like, people don't know when they're doing something wrong to you these days, literally. I, I, I don't think it's malicious. I just am like, people literally are living in different worlds from marginalized communities. They, I actually experienced this yesterday really nicely with my mom where I was having some, like, I was feeling a little, uh, like I had like not chronic pain, but I was feeling some sort of pain through my body throughout the day. And I was like, man, if anyone is ever in like this kind of pain all day, um, I, it, it would get annoying because it's like a stream of water that's always going. Mm-hmm. And my mom has, um, is navigating some sort of chronic pain all the time. And I had never really fully empathized with her until I was feeling it myself. And so I went to her yesterday and was all like, hey, listen, are you in a state of like pain all day, every day? And she was like, yeah, I am. We literally do not know, even the people who are closest to us, what the other person is experiencing or what people are experiencing. So in a workplace, I am entirely sure that your boss does not know how you feel. <laughs> like I'm entirely sure of it. And so there's no way that you can get through your work days these days moving forward without advocating for yourself telling stories about what you're experiencing and detailing it. Like, hey, listen, you've given me five projects. Let me tell you how these five projects end up in my life right now, X, Y, Z. You know, that's for employees. For employers, I'm gonna call out budgets because people are always acting like they don't have enough money when really they're just not great at allocating funding. Um, And I would love, I'm encouraging employers and CEOs and people who have power and privilege over budgets to sit down effectively and not take the spreadsheet from last year to just create the next budget for the next fiscal year. Instead, really sit down. What are the things that we need? Do we need mental health stipends? Do we need additional resources for you know, wellness events? Um, what do we need for mentorship? Do we have training that's on the books? Do we have budget for that now instead of oh, it's June and I'm like not entirely sure if we have the budget for it because we could have been preventative. So I would say preventative budgeting is what I want to encourage employers to engage in. And then of course, self-awareness, if you can work on that. (laughs) Yes, that makes so much sense. Um, And Nicole, I know we're almost out of time, Um, but we're going to transition over to the speed round, uh, which is pretty fun. And then right after that, we'll close it off with um, a word of wisdom from you. Um, All right. So for the speed round, here we go. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts? Dunkin'. (laughs) All right. Time or money? Time. Mm. LA or New York? LA because I'm looking for a change. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Heels or flats? Heels. All right. Cool Ranch or cheddar cheese? Talking Doritos now. Oh, Cool Ranch. See, that changed when you said Doritos. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Let's go. Okay. That that was fun. All right. (laughs) Um, So to close it out. All right. So to anyone that's listening, if there's anything that they could take away from your message today um, and anything that you do, what would you tell them 
about um, if, if they were to take one action today, what would you tell them to do? I'd say go um, take care of yourself. And that's pretty much it, honestly. Take care of yourself, turn off your computer. None of that stuff, <laughs> truthfully, mm. is as important as the actual life that you're living. And don't confuse it. Don't confuse work for your life because it's really not. That's it. Amazing. Thanks, Nicole. And uh, so how can people find you after this? Sure, yeah. Um, the, my newest work is my work with the Harriet Tubman Effect. It's a research institute for dismantling systemic oppression. You can find us on www.harrietttubmaneffect.com. Um, I hope to one day be able to tell you more about it. It is so in development. So I'm actually happy we didn't jump into that conversation today, but definitely <laughs> spend some time looking at it on the website um, and look out for some cool things in the coming year. So many cool things with HTE. I'm excited to see how you manifest all of those things, Nicole. Um, and thank you for your time today. You know, we have to get you back for another call. Is that going to be possible? For oh my part goodness. Two? Of course. Let's do it, Robert. That'd be great. <laughs> Let's do it. All right, Nicole. Thank you for your time today. And I hope you have a good rest of your day. You too. Talk to you later. All right. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Bye.